Hello, this is episode 7 of the Just Effing It podcast. Um, this episode is going to be a, a little bit different. I'm going to touch on a number of different things, but I'm going to tell you a little story about something that just happened to me yesterday. And it's a good thing I'm recording it now instead of yesterday because I was fit to be tied. I mean, I could have chewed bar wire and shit BBs. I was so fucking pissed yesterday. But anyway, um, so to give you a little backstory, in case you care, um, I wanted, I figured out I wanted to shoot Dasher in my AI, right? So I, um, it didn't feel like waiting on a barrel to get cut and all that stuff. And I was on sniper's hide and a guy hit me up and said that he had a dasher barrel for sale for an AI. And he was like, look, I'm going to be up front with you in case, you know, you're wondering or, you know, whatever. I cut the barrel myself. I chambered it. I've put 80 rounds down it. And he showed me a picture of groups that had shot and fire foreman. And he said, look, I know you're taking a risk, you know, um, buying the barrel from me. You don't know me. And I cut it. Um, and I was like, this isn't your first barrel you've cut, is it? And he said, no, hell no. I wouldn't even be selling it if it was my first barrel I ever cut. And he said, I've cut 20 or 30 barrels. So um, he said, if you don't like it, doesn't shoot good, send it back and I'll, I'll refund your money. And uh, I was like, well, as long as you stick to your word, then I can't beat that. So shit. Yeah, I'll do it. And uh, I was like, well, that's 80 rounds. I don't have to put down the barrel to break it in, right? That's just, you know, another 40, you know, 55 rounds, and it's broke in for the most part. So, great. Um, I got the barrel. Everything looked good. It was exactly what he said. And I had a uh, order in with A-Team for the next batch of um, Alpha Munitions Dasher Brass. And been waiting on that. And then it finally came in. But before it came in, um, I just got antsy or whatever. I screwed it on and it took a piece of BR brass and loaded it. Uh, just, I just loaded it to the lands. I didn't even really, uh, jam it. I, I loaded it right at the lands and, uh, yeah, anyway, I went out there and shot it and I'm glad I did because the, uh, brass fire formed like it was supposed to, but the brass was like chewed up as hell like it was definitely you definitely tell the chamber was not polished um you know he i'm sure he cut it fine it was just he didn't go back and then polish the chamber or whatnot so um i talked to josh at pva and i told him what was going on and he's like well send it to me and i'll i'll run your reamer in it and um i will uh just run it you know turn it one time and polish the chamber for you and, and turn it back uh, turn it around for you in two days. And I was because, you know, I've got a match in, uh, the end of the month and three weeks from now, uh, the war match in peacemaker in West Virginia that I was planning on shooting it in. Like I already had my mind set up that set that I was going to shoot that rifle or that barrel on the AI and everything. So I was like, sweet. I threw it in a box, a barrel box. I've got a ton of boxes beside me here in my reloading room. I need to get rid of a bunch of them. But anyway, I have like four barrel boxes over here. I took one, the, the best one I had, packed it, wrapped the barrel, everything, left my damn brake on it, which I don't know why, but I didn't, I didn't take the brake off of it. Uh, packaged it up and then took Gorilla duct tape and... I use like 15 feet of duct tape on it. Like 
I told I told Josh after everything happened, I said, dude, if you had taken that box and dropped it off the Empire State Building, the only thing that would have survived would be the end that I taped up because it was bulletproof, really. And uh, so anyway, I sent it on a Thursday. It got there Saturday, but he has um, signature required and everything. Someone must accept the package and sign for it, you know, for security purposes. No one was there at that time that it was delivered on Saturday. And so they re-delivered it on Monday. Well, lo and behold, Josh was delivered an empty damn box. And he sent me pictures of it. And it was cut so cleanly. I mean, it looked like it was cut with a, a scalpel. In the duct tape end, the end that I taped up, there's no way... On God's green earth, that it, uh, the barrel went through it and like fell. It's it was is If it had been the other side, I could have been like convinced. But Josh even said, "Dude, this thing was cut. There's this thing is clean cut. Someone took this barrel out, and I was delivered an empty box." And I was like, "Fuck my life." I didn't insure it. I I was like it's a barrel. I mean I don't think it's gonna get damaged. I had I had it so packed up so well in the box. I wasn't worried about it really getting damaged. I mean you really could have dropped it out of a truck and it'd have been okay. I had a thread protector on it, muzzle brake. Everything was wrapped but with bubble wrap, taped up. Um, I had a big, like really heavy, um, brown paper that one of my barrels was shipped to me with as like uh end stoppers and everything to like you know buffer any type of if it dropped on its end it wouldn't be a problem or whatever had all that in there dude there was nothing so i was like no i'm fine i was not worried one bit about my shit getting ganked but sure enough somebody between north carolina wilmington delaware and then downington pennsylvania it made one stop between here in Patriot Valley. Well, or where Patriot Valley Arms is located. It's in Downington, Pennsylvania. So, um, he sent me a picture. Dude, your, bo- your, your box is empty, dude. I hate to say it, but it's I'm not even fucking with you. It's it's gone. Like, your barrel's gone. It was delivered to the damn... The, the end of the box, like, flapping open when they delivered it. And um, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So, okay, so I'm out. The money I paid the dude for the barrel, okay, like and and the money for my break, right? Um, my Jet Four um, Patriot Valley Arms break that I love. So, uh, but and as bad as that sucks, that's not even like the bitch. It completely throws off my entire like plans, right? I already had like thirty rounds loaded up and everything. Like, I was like, my load is in this box right now because it's a dasher. I mean, it's, you know, granted it is alpha brass, so it's a little bit different case capacity than the pool of brass. But, you know, I had like every charge weight covered, uh, you know, with 105 burgers, 15 thou jump, anything between 10 and 20 thou jump on the burgers, hybrids are, are money, right? So I was like, the load is in this box. And I'm like, son of a bitch. You gotta be kidding me! And I want it. I want a seven twist because I'm gonna shoot the um, Seneca um, solids, 100 grain solids, and needs a seven twist. 
the 94 grains you can be ran in like a seven and a quarter seven and a half or whatever but uh, I wanted a seven twist and I was like Josh please tell me you have a seven twist Rock Creek on the on the shelf or at this point any seven twist six millimeters to do don't think I got right now in stock he said I'm waiting on a whole uh, crate full of barrels from Rock Creek that should be here in the next week or two I was like well I don't have a week or two to wait I said I was, I'm dead set on shooting Dasher in this match and he was like I got a seven and a half twist and I was like mm. all right Cut me a seven and a half twist dasher barrel for my John Hancock rifle, my a nucleus. I said, and I'll just run that on an MTU, and we're cutting it at 27 inches, um, an MTU barrel, threaded all that jazz for a break and everything. And uh, so they're getting they spun that up for me today, um, but you know I didn't insure it. And you know, and I I posted on Facebook and Snipers Hide. No, no, not Cyberside, uh, Facebook and Instagram. And I, oh, and I felt so dumb for not insuring it. I was like, well, that will never happen again. It's a less a expensive lesson learned. And then people were like, dude, you saved money by not insuring it because, you know, one guy had mentioned that he had three barrels taken, like lost or stolen from various. I, I, I think he said the post office. It might have been, might have been UPS. I don't know. And they didn't even cover it. It was insured. They didn't even cover it. Another guy hit me up and said that he um, he private messaged me about it and was like, dude, don't feel bad. I had a $750 Suaro uh, rangefinder, laser rangefinder that I had insured, and they didn't pay me shit for it when it got lost like 10 years ago. And so they are like, it doesn't matter if you insured it or not. It wasn't going to get covered. They just, they just don't fucking do it. So... Today, I called uh, the 1-800 number that they give you and spoke with some dude. I swear to God, the dude was from fucking India, but everybody in the background had like a Yankee accent and shit, but I had the only guy who could barely fucking speak English. And he just, you know, read the script and that was it. He said it'd be, you know, two or three business days before someone would get back with me. But then, like three hours later, I get a phone call from the postmaster in Downington, Pennsylvania. And he's like all about like jumping on this to help me find it. I told him, I said, look, I would hope that it fell through that box somehow. I'm telling you right now, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that it fell out of that box. I said, somebody between here and there took it. And given that the fact that it was only one stop, there can't be but so many freaking hands that it went through before it got gone and he's gonna go back and look at pictures if if they could if they had taken pictures he wanted he gave me his cell phone number to text him pictures of the bear of the box you know when josh had received it and I, which i had which was great and i sent a picture of the barrel and it's it's a, a stainless barrel that i just got bored you know and it wasn't marked or anything at all there wasn't dasher on it or anything like that i had taken some electrical tape and wrapped around the barrel and then primed, well, obviously prepped it, primed and, and painted it, and then took the paint, the uh, tape off, and I had like a black and silver spiral barrel, which some people might not like it, and some people, I mean, I thought it was kind of cool looking, it's different, you know, like a can, like a black and silver candy cane or whatever, you know, it's something different. I don't give a shit. Um, but really, for me, it's I've got black barrels and I've got stainless barrels, so it just helps me. I've got 
you know, five barrels for this AI. It helps me keep them in check of which one's what when I don't have it, you know, lasered on. But anyway, um, so, I mean, I'm not putting any eggs in a basket that uh, Harry is the guy's name from Pennsylvania, that he's going to find out anything. He's not going to go Columbo my shit and, and, you know, track down who stole it, I don't believe it, or, or even recover it. I, I swear to God, I would give up the barrel and the money lost if I had the opportunity to put my hands around the motherfucker's throat that stole it. There is no honor amongst thieves, given the title of this podcast. It's, I mean, and he didn't even have the decency to like retape up the box. Him just putting it back through with an it open and flapping is like the biggest middle finger fuck you to, you know, whoever lost the barrel, which me, you know, it's, I mean, I know I'm not the first and I know I damn sure ain't gonna be the last that, you know, this, I mean, there's probably multiple people listening to this podcast that the same thing or something similar happened to, and it sucks, man. So I'm out the money that I spent for it. I bought a barrel that I didn't intend on buying right now. And so then I've also got 80 more rounds I need to put down the barrel that I had a kind of a kickstart on with the other one. So all, and then, you know, all of this, uh, before, you know, the last weekend of this month. Oh, not to mention, not to mention that I have 300 pieces of alpha brass. My intentions were to, within the first 75 rounds, find my load, which would have been easy. And then reconfirm it and then true it out the distance. Go to the range here in Pactolus or at Frontline Defense and shoot it out to a thousand to verify, you know, my data or whatever. By then the barrel had been sped up. I know what the load is, at least on virgin brass. And then I've got 225 more pieces of virgin brass to load up and take with me to West Virginia, right? So I've got, I mean, everything will be the same. So if it's shot well, that way I'm not, you know, like, and I don't know that there's going to be a difference. I don't know. I know if it was Lapua, there wouldn't be that big a difference between, well, either hydro formed or once fired and second fired. But, you know, I don't know for a hundred percent fact that my, you know, first time fired brass as alpha is going to be different than virgin. So I could land on a load of 32.4 grains of Varget. And it shoot lights out and perfect at X speed, you know, hoping like the 2950, 2960 range. And then as soon as I start shooting, um, once fired, it'd be different. So I was like, I'm going to be good as everything's going to be the same. Right. And now I'm just in order for break in that way, my barrel's not speeding up during a you know two day national level match. I'm going to have to, you know, find the load on Virgin, then reload once fired with the same charge weight, hoping that it's the same or at least it's equally as good and accurate. And then mark brass separate to know, okay, it was 2940 with Virgin. It's 29, you know, 58 with once fired or vice versa, you know, whatever. And then be able to, okay, this brass is once fired. I need to change my speed in my Kestrel. 
So now I'm not, and I don't want to go and shoot 300 pieces before a match just to, you know, for the sake of shooting 300 pieces to get it all once fired. I, it's, it's, it, it fucks up. The guy who stole it doesn't realize he just took money from somebody. He, the domino effect affected me more than he realizes. I mean, it's not the end of the fucking world. So I'm getting a brand new uh, Rock Creek cut rifle barrel um, for my Hancock in the uh, foundation stock. And it's going to shoot great. That rifle is every barrel I've got for it. It shoots awesome. Every Patriot Valley Rock Creek I've got is a damn hammer. It's just like the process of, and if this had happened like two or three weeks ago from today, it wouldn't be as bad, right? It, it just, it wouldn't be as bad. It's just because, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on my, that match or whatever, especially coming off of the match. I just shot as much, you know, dick as I ate at that match. You know, I, I'm kind of wanting to redeem myself and everything. And so, and this just added one more stressor or something to have in the back of my head once the match starts and all that stuff. But I mean, I'll live. It's you know, not the end of the world. It's just a, a bitch, you know, it's just one of the things you can't account for and expect or whatever. I mean, so I, now I'm like, well, fuck, I'm just going to hand deliver shit up there. So this shit don't happen again. I'm not going to, but that's kind of like, like, what am I supposed to do? You know, the people, the only way you get, you can't teleport to shit or fucking, you know, you know, wish on a shooting star that the damn thing just magically appears there. No, these fuckers have got to take the shit. So, and, and I've heard horror stories from everybody since this has happened about FedEx, not as, not as much FedEx maybe, but UPS, US Postal Service, a little bit of FedEx. So I'm like, well, fuck, I may as well just start sending everything FedEx now, which is more expensive. It's inconvenient because it's on the other side of town. There's a post office on every fucking corner here. There's even a UPS, there's a lot more UPS stores here, uh, you know, closer to me than the, the FedEx store, but yeah, I'm going to do what I got to do. So from now on, I guess my shit's going FedEx. But anyway, that's one of those things that just ruin your fucking day. And uh, so that happened yesterday. Um, I was going to record a podcast last night, but my wife is going through some training right now for work, her new job. I helped her with, she's got to like, she's going to take a week long course and I'm helping her out and stuff like that. So I was busy with that last night and loading. So I went ahead and loaded another 35 rounds. So I've got 65 rounds loaded and I was like, well, I might as well take this time since I've got to burn up rounds anyway. I've got a bunch of these 95 TMKs that I plan on shooting after I burn up these 105 burgers. So I might as well just in the, for the sake of getting rounds down the barrel, go ahead and do some different charge weights with those TMKs. The thing about TMKs though, they're great bullets. They're just a lot more seating depth, uh, finicky than, uh, match Kings are the regular SMKs. So my plan is to shoot up. I have like 1200 ish burgers and well, maybe not, maybe about a thousand burgers and then shoot those up. And I've got about 800. So of the 95 TMKs, I'm going to shoot those up. And then after that, um, I'm going to, uh, uh, buy, 95 grain SMKs because I was having a talk with a buddy of mine here. And he was like, man, why the fuck are you going to shoot 95 SMKs? He said, dude, no one shoots those. And I was like, well, A, that's one reason why. B, they're cheaper than fuck. C, 
you know, down here in, in North Carolina, we don't deal with a whole lot of wind. And I'll tell you, for the little little wind we do have, I don't know what kind of magic it is. I probably shouldn't be saying this so you guys don't start buying them all up. But those 95 SMKs, those little fuckers running them at uh, 3140. Sorry, had to take a quick break. My son needed something in bed, so I had to go take it to him. So anyway, back we're talking about the 95 SMKs. Running them at like 3140, 3150 uh, area, I'll tell you, um, just in the just for an example, the last match uh, at Frontline, the Frontline Fury. So Jeff is running; he's been running the 95 SMKs for a couple of years, and he swears by them. And I've never shot them before. And then he he loads CL's ammo, and he's running them too. So they're running the same exact load, everything. Well, I think CL's load is like two-tenths of a grain less, but they're running right there at the same speed. And, uh, man, this it's like almost automatic, dude. Like, there's guys in our squad in the last match that are running 115 D-Tacs and 105 Burgers, right, in the Dasher. And I, I, I don't know what it is. You can tell me, but on paper, no matter the speed differential – they, the 115s and the 105s should require holding less wind. Well, I just don't know if it, the wind just worked out in Jeff's favor every uh, stage, but Jeff was holding less wind. He was like, "I'm, would you, would you hold straight up, straight the fuck up? I held it straight in the middle of the plate." And you know, he'd clean the stage or get a nine or whatever, drop one shot or drop two and then you know for one reason or another he called his misses um but you know those they're like man i was holding you know off the off the edge of the plate you know or on the edge of the plate to get hits and they're shooting like i said 105s and 115 uh d-tacks in their dashers and i i I don't know if it's just the speed is making up for the, the lack the lack of bc or not but I mean, the proof's in the pudding. I've sat and shot, I don't even know how many matches with both those two guys, him and CL. And, you know, Jeff is, you know, CL shot a couple matches with his 95s um, since he got into a dasher. Um, and that's all he's ever shot since shooting dasher. But I'll tell you, Jeff, I've shot a lot of matches with him, and he's been running them fuckers for a while. And this wind doesn't seem to be that big of an issue with him, you know. I mean, he ain't got no reason to lie to me on what he's holding, you know. If or you know, because he'll come off the line. Like, what'd you hold? And he's like straight up, and I was. And he come up to me like Jeff, Jeff. What'd you hold for real? Straight up, dude. I'm serious. Like I didn't. All right. Well, then I get up there with like a 108 ELDM or a you know 105 burger out of my BR, and I'm definitely holding more than straight up. So I don't know there there there's got to be something to it. Now, obviously, the downfall is, you know, maybe. Your throat burns out quicker because of the speed. Um, there's obviously less energy on target. So I'll tell you, it's, it's a struggle to see some of the hits on long-range uh, targets when it's a big, full-size Ipsic, you know, half-inch Ipsic at 1,000 yards with Mirage. And thank goodness we've got a lot of a lot of matches we shoot. They almost all got... Uh, um, uh, flash hit indicators on them because otherwise I'm like on I'm on a spot and scope like dude you better be glad that was on there because I didn't even see a puff didn't see the, wig, the plate wiggle I saw nothing I mean you might as well throw a marshmallow at it but 
if you got hit indicators, I mean, it sets them off. You know, it's been very rare that he has ever uh, not been given a point because we couldn't see it, right? So, and, and splash off the plate in the dirt is obviously a lot less. And, you know, there's just not a whole lot of ass behind the bullet. But, and damn it, don't recoil at all. It is super slippery. I can see the trace in the spotter, no problem. It's in a lot of times that's the only way I can tell is if I follow the if I can follow the trace all the way to the target as far as you know what his hits were or not. So I'm gonna give the 95 SMKs the old college try whenever I get done with um with the burgers and the TMKs. Now I will say this though, the TMKs have a better BC than the SMKs do. You know, they've got it they're tipped, so they've got a more uniform uh um tip so that's always great for accuracy and if i nail a damn good load with that i may just be rolling with the tmks i don't know but i think there'd be something to be safe for all three of us to be shooting the same I mean, we shoot almost all our matches together the three of us so i think it would be something to say you know all of us shooting the same bullet the same speed and uh you know, the benefit that could have with the three of us shooting together. And so who, I mean, who knows, like I said, if these TMKs fucking rocket, then that's what I'm the, the, the route I might be rolling is the, the TMKs, but we're going to start with the burgers cause they're the easiest to load for. And I'm in kind of a, a, a crunch at time to, to get a load dialed in for this barrel. So, um, and one, I'll say this. So I've got, like I said, I got 65 rounds assuming that I find my load, which God knows, I hope I do. In that 70, 65 rounds, the rest of the um, uh, you know, break-in shots I'm going to be taking are going to be with some 108 ELDMs, um, just because I got a box of them and they're cheap. And I got some 90 grain of the Game Changers, the Sierra hunting, the new Sierra hunting bullet. I mean, I don't foresee myself hunting with a now I do my BR. I might. That's what my son may shoot his first deer with. I'll I'll spend the BR barrel on and and load those up or 105s. I mean I've killed them with 105 burgers before. Um, kill deer with with those. So I might I might do that. Either way, I'll keep them as an option. Um, but I'm not burning up my my hybrids or my TMKs just to put rounds down a barrel. You know here at 100 or 500 yards. I mean I might do some. Some training. I got a target at 511 yards off my back deck, so I may load a few of my my the load that I find, load them up, and and verify them at distance at just 500 before I go to our range here across town or whatever. I don't know, but anyway, that's where I'm at on that. A um, couple of things I have that I wanted to touch on tonight uh, about regarding the last podcast, the um, Pactolus Precision uh, range out there. I Wanted to say this, but forgot to mention. I failed to mention that um, the range will not be an open range, like to where there's no memberships or there's no, you know, range days to go out there whenever you want and go shoot like you would a typical public range. Um, it, no, the only time we're going to have shooters out there is when we're holding a like a gathering or whatever, a uh, um, put together pre-announced whatever right so that's gonna be the only time so it's not gonna be like i can you can just go in there and shoot it's just because jeff that's a whole nother world of liability 
I mean, he's going to be insured, of course. He's already talked to insurance companies and all that stuff. But I think that's like a whole nother level of shit and a headache that he don't want to deal with. I told you, this is not his livelihood. He doesn't do this for a living. He's not even doing it to really make money. He, you know, he's doing this because, um, you know, he wanted a cool, cool place for us to train and shoot. And then, um, also extend that out to the community. Now he will probably eventually make some money once he makes his money back. That's his main priority is making his money back of his investment of, uh, you know, building this range. But, you know, it's, it's not, this is not a, a money making you know, investment is not what it's intended for at all. So, I mean, which I understand that. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there. Don't expect for some, you know, range to open up in East North Carolina for the public to go shoot whenever you want or memberships or anything like that. Um, it's going to strictly be a competition setting type thing. Training designated choreograph day is what we're going to be doing or days. Uh, whether it be once a month, twice a month, once every other month, whatever it may be. Um, let's see what else I want to talk about. Um, yeah, and like I mentioned in the last one, uh, the last podcast, that I'm going to be doing a episode dedicated to just gear. Stuff that I have touched, stuff that I have shot, stuff that I have owned, stuff that I have sold, stuff that I have looked through, whatever. Um, you know, maybe like a mini buyer's guide to um, maybe the entry-level shooter and then the all right, you've done your entry level stuff. You bought your Tika, and which look a Tika, dude, you could win shit with a Tika. So it's not like it's you know an RPR or anything like that that you're not gonna win shit with. But uh, you know, just your your second, your level up, right? Your your upgrade. You know, go go from there into you know an Axe International being, you know, my opinion, like the epitome. I love it. It's, I know it was not designed for competition, and that's basically what we're talking about here. But I, I'm an AI nut, and it's I don't think there's been a better design for a you know bulletproof type weapon system. Um, which I haven't played with Theus's Hoplite yet, so that may change so one day. I'll get my hands on one, and we'll we're gonna finger fuck it. Um, but that won't be this episode and it might've been had this shit not happened, um, with my barrel getting stolen and these other things I want to talk about. Um, I had a couple comments, uh, that I wanted to address for you guys. Um, uh, I didn't write down their names, but I'm sure they're probably listening to this as well. And so you'll know who you are when you hear the question that you asked. Um, I had one guy ask about buying reloading components in bulk and, ensuring that you get the same lot of everything because obviously now not everything is created equal right so you may say bullet a may be very little from lot to lot variance to where you could take three different lots and throw them all in a bucket and pull from them and, and and shoot them and you wouldn't know the difference right there are bullets out there like that and that's that's great you know that's obviously what you want because you don't even care about lots at that point um kind of like lots of loaded ammo now i'll say this there's very very little difference in lots of ammo with the hornady um six creedmoor uh cl shot six factory six creedmoor for a year he had fucking nine different lots of ammo. He would just go to the store and buy two boxes. And then next time he went to the store, he'd buy another two boxes. And like, 
stockpile up six creed more over time and then he's you know buy a case here or there at one point he had like a few cases worth of ammo with like all different lots other than one case he did not change his dope one time and i ain't never seen him miss a target due to the you know dope being wrong really other than temperature swings and stuff like that throughout the day but he got it right back on track when he updated environmentals and everything but he um yeah, so, but th that parallels with other things like bullets, especially powder, um, brass. Okay, brass is a, is a big one, you know, um, even Lapua. Sometimes there's going to be differences in lot A and lot B or lot A and lot, you know, G. You know, there's, there's going to be a, a difference in them. So the answer, I, I briefly touched on it in the comment section on the Podbean app that, typically now this is what i've learned typically depending on how much you're buying right if you're buying up all they've got there's a good chance you're gonna have probably multiple different variances or in in lot numbers but if you go buy a k uh, uh two thousand bullets okay say you're gonna buy two thousand one of five burgers the bet there's a good bet that without even saying anything you will get the person packing it and getting they'll get them off in the same lot. Now that's not a rule. That's just a general what happens, right? Which is what you want. But I, I what my advice to him was was if you're going to buy a bulk of anything, especially if you can get it off in the same place, is to specify like if you're buying it online in the notes. Most most websites have like a notes uh, little section for you to type a message to the um the strip distributor or the the retailer that you know you can put i want all this let's say you're buying um six pounds of uh h4350 you can say i would like to ensure that they were all the same lot if they've got it they'll do it because there's no difference to them what lot you get is you know what a happy customer right it's uh, you're paying your money either way they're going you know they'll go through and pick lot numbers i don't know of any company that have a problem with doing that it's not a big deal so you know if you went and bought you know two thousand bullets you know uh, eight pound uh, keg of powder and 500 pieces of brass and you know 5,000 primers all from one place like a midway or a reloaders uh, a re what's the name of it fucking website um, reloading fuck I forgot her name I buy a bunch of shit from uh, or powder valley or something like that uh, precision reloading that's what it is um, you know and you can buy all of that from them assume they have it in stock which the most time they do unless there's a shortage of whatever you're talking about then you can put in there, can I get all the same lots of everything that I'm buying, right? So all your brass be the same lot, all your powder, all your primers, all your bullets, everything will be the same lot. They'll do that. So that's real. Unless you go to a store, like if you've got a, a Shields in your area or a Cabela's or Bass Pro that they have the reloading stuff you want, then you're going through it and ensuring you get the same lot if they have whatever you need of the same lot, right? So, you know, it's it's not that big a deal. It's not that hard to do. All it does is just take you to ask. 
Um, all right, now let's pick it back up. Shit, I dropped my phone on the fucking keyboard. I didn't fuck it up. Anyway, uh, another question was, um, a listener asked me about different positions in wobble zones. How do I mitigate them? Mitigate the wobble zone, and then also, does the wobble zone get better over time? The answer to that last one is yes. Once you learn, the more time you spend doing something, hopefully, the better you find a way to do the task, right? You know, whatever. You're going to want to change something if you're not being successful in the way you're doing something. You're trying to complete that task. You're obviously, you're naturally going to want to change something like, well, fuck, this isn't working. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. Now, I I can't sit here and speak for you and tell you uh, you need to, you know, grip the rifle with your support hand, your off hand here. And this is what you need to do because... I may do it differently than you do, and it feels better to me than it does to you. And you may, like, for example, I have a night vision bridge on my AI. Um, oh, damn, I wish they had them for foundations because it would be awesome. But um, what I have my night vision bridge basically just forward, I say probably a half to a three quarter of an inch forward of my objective lens of my scope, which I also have the sunshade on, leave it on. Um, and, uh, what I do is I reach forward and put my index finger and kind of like pinch it in between the night vision bridge and the bottom of my objective lens. So I can pull the rifle into my shoulder while steering the rifle with my support hand from the front right so a lot of people will put and i will too like on my foundation uh i will put my hand on the uh sunshade of my objective lens of my scope because well i don't want to burn my finger on a hot barrel and i don't really have a whole lot to grab onto now i know phil pickens has um i'm not phil pickens sorry phil uh phil cashin has um created a like a fucking grip thing that goes on to your chassis of an MPA. So with that grip, I don't even know what he fucking calls it, but it comes off of the, the left. I guess you can do it if you're, if you're a left-handed shooter off the right side, but if you're a right-handed shooter, it comes off the left side, you kind of grab a hold of it, and you're almost like making a fist because that's the shape of it come off the side of the rifle. And you can basically do the same thing. My own, and I've never used it, so I, I can't speak intelligently on it. But just by me looking at it and watching, you know, videos of him, you know, basically showcasing that product, I can't help but think that because it's off to the left side of the rifle, that you may be inducing some sort of torque in your um, you know, your sight picture, like you're pulling whether you're not meaning to or not, you're pulling the rifle to the left, maybe. Maybe it doesn't, but the way it looks to me that that might be an issue. And um, so, like, the way I do it, well, it's dead center of my finger, and the pressure that I'm pulling back into my shoulder is dead 
straight in the middle of my objective lens. So it's all in line with my barrel, in line with my action, in line with my buttstock, and then into my, uh, basically the upper part of my collarbone, right? So it's all pulling in a line. Maybe that's not an issue with that thing. That's just, like I said, just me looking at it. It's hard for me to tell whether that's what's going on or not. Um, if that would, that, if that would be an issue. Um, and it may not, it may be an issue for some, but not others. I don't know. I never played with it. Um, but you know, like I said, a lot of people, what most people will do is they will put their hands on the front of the, the uh, front of the scope on the objective end of the scope. So you're basically teetering and steering the rifle with your off hand, which induces less movement, less wobble zone uh, when you're in that type of uh, unsupported or really front supported position, you know, off your belly. Um, you know, it's important to continue your fundamentals of marksmanship, you know, having, uh, your natural point of aim being squared to the rifle, to the rifle that's pointed to the target, right? So rifle pointed to the target body pointed towards the rifle. It goes for prone. It goes for, you know, kneeling, sitting, maybe not sitting, but, uh, kneeling, standing on a front supported position off a barricade or rock, a tree stump or whatever, having your body square to that rifle. That way you're not blading off to the side at all, not being able to absorb that recoil because as everyone knows, recoil is going to find the path of least resistance. If the way I look at, I look at it with people is, or try to explain it to people and new shooters and stuff. If you're standing there facing me, okay, and you've got your body squared to mine, and I take my hand and I push your uh, left shoulder, okay, you're not, I mean, just a normal, like a, just a push. You're not going to move that much, but if you take your left foot and step back a little bit and then I then push your shoulder your body is going to turn a lot more the same thing happens under recoil when that that your body that rifle is going to exploit the angles of what you're which you're inducing with your body right so that is you know something to always think about as far as your wobble zone you know there's things you need to do to that you need to if the position allows it there's things you can do to help mitigate that you know the whole thing of burying the mag well into a uh, a structure like a, a barricade or whatever you know if you do that you're there are situations where that's kind of required um for one example i can think of is like a a, a rope ladder because it moves so much i'd say um well, example, we had a, I was actually ROing a match a couple a few years ago and, um, Keith Baker was there and it was on the thousand yard deck at Frontline and it was a ladder rung. I mean, it was a wooden rung, uh, rope ladder, right? So it was like a big net, but in the middle it had, uh, you know, wooden rungs going up and down the ladder. And I forgot what the yardage was, but basically you had to shoot off of, I think, three or five positions or heights on that rope ladder. And he was the first one in that squad. 
and he shot it and didn't do as well. I think this was the NRL in 2018 is when it was. He didn't do that well on that stage. And then I guess I probably should have said something if I, before he shot, if I was going to pipe up and say anything at all. But I was like, look, the best way, best success I've seen people run this is people to either lean completely into that rope ladder or they have like a barricade stop is to put the barricade stop on the opposite side of the ladder rung and then pull the net back to them, right? So that way you're taking as much movement out of that uh, rope ladder as you possibly can. So even if you're shooting off a barricade that's really fucking wobbly and stuff, that is when you want to do that. Not because that you're stopping movement of the rifle as much as you are stopping movement of the structure that you're shooting off of, right? So because you compound them together, movement that you're inducing plus plus movement that the structure is inducing you're gonna have fucking wobble everywhere so you're you're mitigating one uh aspect of the movement which is the structure the the wobbly unstable structure and then you're doing your best to keep your wobble zone that you're inducing from pressure from your shoulder into the buttstock and then your hand on and finger on the trigger and all that stuff. So that's when I only time I really suggest, uh, like really putting a whole lot of pressure into the structure of what you're shooting. If it's a stable, a stable barricade or a, a hard structure, like, a a down tree because we shot off of those off of like big giant limbs coming off of a down tree that they cut the tops off of and you have to shoot off of that or a typical skills stage, um, uh, skills barricade or anything like that. If there's not a lot of movement in it, I wouldn't bury the rifle into that structure. Cause I, now there's no movement from the structure. There's movement from me. That's unnecessary. Right? So the way that I, that I run things like that is all, all I do is I pull the rifle into me instead of me going into the rifle and also the bag you're shooting off of. I've got, I've either had or, you know, have, and have sold or I can, you know, still uh, currently have a whole heap of different bags. Uh, I know game changers are huge and popular. They were like the game changer. I mean, uh, the essence of the term as far as shooting bags go, because they were the really the first, you know, of what we know in 2020 of shooting bags, they were the standard. They were the first ones, the OGs. That's what they were, you know. But um, the We Bad Mini Fortune Cookie, I really love, and even more the wax fill, the wax heavy fill um, game changer. Uh, excuse me, uh, Mini Fortune Cookie. Um, it's heavy. It's sand filled. And it packs down and the rifle sinks down into it. Now that part right there is critical. The rifle sinks into it. And the reason why I say it's critical is because of, well, the alternative. So I've got a um, Go Light Fill um, pint size game changer that I would use in a pinch if it wasn't a really tough position, but I also needed a, a rear bag and to move fast because it's damn thing weighs like ounces and i also have a brand new um light fill uh full size uh optimized wax canvas game changer um 
that I would use in certain situations as well. I'll tell you, if I run them on a barricade side by side oh, and a, a, a solo sack, and a solo sack is pretty good because it's heavy as well, and the rifle pretty much sinks into it too. But the uh, the game changers to me, and I know this sounds sacrilegious because so many people use game changers. To me, I don't get as stable on those because of the, um, lack of better terms, the interface between the rifle and the way that bag behaves with the rifle on it. By that, I mean, I feel like I'm on a slightly softer, hard surface when I'm running that. If you stretch the, the game changer over a barricade, like a typical 2x4, like you're supposed to, the way it was designed to do, that's why it's opened up in the middle like that, then it flattens out nice, which you get a large surface area of the rifle on the bag, which is great. But it's like it just packs down, stretches out tight to where I'm still on a semi-hard surface. Whereas, like I mentioned with the uh, the mini fortune cookie, the heavy fill, um, it, it feels more so the rifle sinks into the bag and is kind of supported on both sides. And it's a lot more stable i run it up here my i run all of them on my barricade up here in my reloading room all the time and i would just constantly switch them all out and be like just reassure myself like damn that wax uh mini fortune cookie is just to me it's just superior to as far as my wobble zone um i've got uh the indoor dry fire training system up here and i wish the targets were smaller on it there's only one one moa target and it's on the kyl rack and then there's one a one and a half MOA plate on it. And those two targets are really the only targets that I use on this uh, uh, dry fire training system because they're, to me, the most realistic in size. You practice on a smaller target than you would shoot in a match, then all those targets are going to look big, right? That's why, like, a two MOA plate or two and a half MOA plate at 400 yards looks like a freaking beach ball out there. It looks huge. Um, cause if you practice on smaller targets, everything else looks bigger. So I run it on, on all of these bags. And it's like when I'm on that, uh, waxed, um, mini fortune cookie, like my wobble zone is not greater than one, one and a half MOA. Now, the one MOA target, I can get some movement. You're kind of doing the whole timing thing, which is a little tougher to do with a two-stage AI trigger than it is a, a light uh, single-stage trigger. But, you know, you can do it, obviously. Um, but the yeah, one MOA, one and a half MOA target, you know, my crosshair is not leaving that plate. Rarely ever does it leave that plate. Now, I can then jump over to the, uh, pint size or the full size game changer and granted yeah i could still shoot a match with either one of those bags and those bags alone and do fine but i just there is just there's more movement there's more movement in a reticle um but like i said i do everything i can to pull that rifle into me rather me go into that rifle right because then i'm inducing the friction of the rifle and the structure that it's on creating more movement than what I'm doing by, you know, touching the rifle. Like I don't do that fucking free recoil shit. 
you know, you can lighten up a little pressure on that uh, uh, butt pad a little bit to to gain more stability. Uh, but to me, I feel like I, I get locked in when I'm pulling that rifle dead into my shoulder. I, I feel really locked in. And I think locked in is the correct term to describe of how what's actually happening, like what I'm actually accomplishing is I am having that rifle locked into me. And but, you know, if, if you're getting movement that way, you can lighten up a little bit of pressure on that shoulder and you'll see that reticle start to slow down the movement or, or shrink a little bit. But this whole free recoil shit with people pinching the damn their thumb on the back of the grip and then just boom, just popping a, you know, six ounce trigger and, you know, face completely off the damn rifle, all bladed off to the side. First of all, you look retarded as fuck. Second of all, you got no idea where you sent that bullet unless you hit that plate. You're not even going to see it hit and you're definitely not going to see a miss. So that data you get by you know mitigating recoil and watching the shot through the recoil and to then apply the, the your correction is invaluable why are you going to give that up for a little bit of stability all right just practice how about that i, I see dudes on facebook and instagram with their fucking profile pictures i, I don't even remember his name like i almost <laughs> refused to like accept his friend request like a couple years ago because it was him on like a a fucking tall tank trap or something like that. Yo, this Bama was literally, there was nothing touching the rifle except his thumb, his trigger finger, and his left hand, his off hand. That was the only damn things. He was not even behind the rifle. The dog was to the side of the rifle. And I was like, dude, what the fuck is that? Like, you're going to make that your public profile picture of you doing some fucking gay shit like that? I was, Jesus Christ. Anyway, a lot of people do that shit and they're, they're what they're gaining in a little bit of stability. If they, if they, if, even if they broke the shot off exactly where they wanted it to, if you had a gust of wind for a wind change right then, dude, you're going to be pissing in the wind, dude. You have no idea what the hell to do at that point. You're going to be fishing is all you're going to be doing is fishing for that target because you got no idea what correction to apply for the next shot. Um, so don't go that route. Don't, don't sacrifice all of the things that are going to make you a good shooter and are going to keep you a good shooter. The further you progress for a little bit of stability, right? So we're all shooting heavier rifles. Now, uh, I ordered a 27 inch MTU for my foundation because even with, uh, m20 a 26 inch m24 it feels too light it feels like a 16 uh, pound rifle 17 pound rifle and i'm gonna be shooting dasher through it and to play the game you got i'm I'm looking for about that 19 to 21 pounds my ai with a a heavy palma barrel is 20.6 pounds i don't want to go much heavier than 21 because then i'm sacrificed i feel like i'm sacrificing mobility i'm sacrificing the movement in between positions even if i'm not moving anywhere i'm i've got to move positions even on like a barricade or from one rock to the next rock which is only two feet three feet over but me having to use both hands to then lift the front of the end of the rifle up to set it back down like into my the crook of my elbow to then grab my bag to then move it over all that stuff or grab the bag at the same time using two hands to move everything 
yeah, I, 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 anything more than 21 pounds, I will uh, struggle in in moving efficiently. Yes, I can do it. Obviously, I'm not a fucking baby, but I, I, I definitely can feel I feel sluggish as opposed to maybe fuck. Maybe that's what I need, because like I talked about in the uh, hot watch episode, I shoot fast to my own dismay. So I, I maybe I need to slow the fuck down, but I don't know if that, if that would even slow me down or if it would just make me uh, shoot faster because I know I'm moving slower. I need to hurry up and shoot faster, and that's not what I want. I need to shoot slower, move fast, shoot slow. Um, but so who knows? I'm liking this 19 to 20, 20 and a half pound, 21 pound max range. That's what I feel comfortable with, and and I can still wield the rifle around like I want to. And, uh, so that's where I'm at on that. But yeah, we're all shooting those heavy six mils, little re I'm shooting a 95 grain fucking bullet. You know, it's not going to have much recoil, especially with a break like the, uh, shockwave or the jet four dude, those brakes are so damn Gucci, man. They, they work so well, no concussion at the shooter. The, the, the recoil, mitigation is retarded it is so good um and it is all coupled together a 20 pound dasher shooting 95s with that break lay it on a barricade step away from the target i mean step away from the rifle and just you know hit the trigger and it's going to not move but you know when your heart's pumping and you're inducing your heart rate into that rifle, your heavy breathing because, well, A, your nerves, as soon as that buzzer goes off, we all go full potato, and, you know, and, and forget everything that we had planned to do for the most part, you know, and that's, uh, that happens. So I want to be, to be able to see my misses more than I want anything is so that I can then put the next shot on target where it needs to go. That, to me, is most important. Seeing trace would be great. I'm not seeing a whole lot of trace through my scope. I need to practice that, I guess. Um, but that is something that would help. But more so is watching for If you're not seeing trace, then you need to watch for impacts or misses and then make your correction from there. Um, but, yeah, so you need to experiment with different gear, I guess. But the biggest thing is apply to fundamentals. And don't bury yourself into the rifle and then the rifle into the structure you're shooting off of. That is inducing a lot of movement in your reticle. Um, uh, if that didn't answer your question or whatever, just send me another comment. Say, hey, dumbass, you didn't really answer the question good enough, and I'll try it again. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything uh, else I want to cover in this episode. It was a quick story that uh, thread on snipers hide, and I feel bad for the guy. So a guy, this is non-shooting related. A guy said that his mom and dad, eld- I, I say elderly, they're probably in their 60s, maybe early 70s. His mom and dad were walking their little dog. This dog is fucking five pounds. This dog is tiny. Hardly a dog, but it is a companion. They're they're walking the dog in their neighborhood or somewhere, and then all of a sudden, two fucking pit bulls come and snatch that fucking dog up and shake the dog. I mean, 
knocked his mom over and they his dad ended up having like a freaking like walking stick, you know, like you see people walking with the tall cane looking things that people just use, like a hiking stick or whatever. And I guess he fended the dogs off with the stick. Finally, they gave up. They ended up having to like, the whole dog was stitched up. I mean, the whole fucking thing. He had 10 tubes to drain fluid and stuff. The dog was lucky to be alive. Mom was lucky, lucky to not get seriously hurt. Because had they turned those dogs, those pit bulls, turned their attention to her because she was on the ground instead of that little dog, it could have been a bad, bad, bad situation. I commented, and basically, I don't remember everything I said, but I basically said, you know, I'd be going over somebody's house, and I'd be fucking either beating the shit out of some owner, or I'm going to beat the fuck out of two damn dogs, uh, because pit bulls, I love pit bulls, I have one, but he's barely a pit bull, because the dog wouldn't bite a ham sandwich, and he's fucking scared of his own shadow, he's the biggest pussy ever, but he's my man, my working dog's are worth a hell of a lot. I, I adopted him and paid $85 adoption fee when he was 12 weeks old. Uh, Bosco is his name. He's a black and white. Technically, he's an American Staffordshire Terrier, but that's just a fucking churched-up name for a pit bull. Um, but he is 11 years old now, and he is still my man. That's my boy. Like You can take any working dog I've ever had, have ever ha- will have, that I currently have, take him. You ain't taking my man. You ain't taking Bosco. That's my homie. The working dogs are just working dogs. They're cool and everything, but I've got a lot more blood, sweat, equity, and tears in those dogs, but none of them pale in comparison to Bosco, right? I mean, none of of them compare. They all pale in comparison, I should have said. Well, but people don't realize about pit bulls is that these dogs were 100% bred created we created the pit bull to me it is the most perfect physical specimen that man has created they are astronomically athletic their tenacity sheer fucking will and even their health just every other dog pales in comparison. Okay. That's the way they are. They were designed and bred to fight. Fight bulls and fight each other. Now you can have your thoughts, whatever your thoughts are on dog fighting and everything, but that's what that breed of dog. And I'm just not saying fighting dogs is right before anybody gets all mad and shit. But that's what that dog was designed to do. It's like a Ferrari. No one wants a Ferrari to go camping in. That's not what that car was designed and created to do. That fucker was designed to go fast. To go fast as shit. Not to go camping in. Not to go uh, off-roading, you know, fucking rock crawling. That's not what it was meant to do. Pit bulls were meant to fight. And when they see a little pipsqueak ass, you know, five pound dog, that looks like a fucking squeaky chew toy to them. They're going to do what they do. Okay. One of the best working dogs I have ever worked in my life. And still to this day 
is one of my best friends in my club, James, his dog, Slick. His actual proper name is pimp named Slickback. So we call but we call him Slick. He is quite possibly the most complete working dog I have ever worked in my life. That dog is a literal killer. Now I say killer. And it's not what the term that most people would probably take it as. The dog will jump straight up in your damn lap and lick the skin off your damn face. Slick is a cool ass dog. Okay. But when the switch is flipped, you don't want to be on the receiving end of it. That dog hits you like a 28 mile an hour, 70 pound bag of shit. And he is not stopping unless James stops him. You die or he dies. Whichever comes first. He is the most, he's one of my favorite dogs I have ever worked. He is awesome. He is an amazing hog dog. But man work is his bread and butter. When he sees red, he sees red. And ain't nothing stopping slick. Period. That's not what he was designed to do. The tenacity, what, what, he was a game bred dog. And if you don't know, a game bred dog is basically a dog that was bred by parents that were either, they were, you know, dog fighting dogs or come from a lineage of dog fighting dogs. Dogs specifically created, chosen, purposely bred for that job. Okay, so what James did was channeled the innate genetic desire to kill from dogs, to channel it away from dogs and place it on man. In obviously control the dog's not an out out of control dog to where he's a, a liability for anybody and everybody that comes around him or in contact with him. I told you the dog would jump up in your lap and hang out with you. He's a cool ass dog, right? Um but when when it's time to work, that's what he is. He's a he's a fucking savage. Okay. Well you know had that dog had slick been the whole point of me bringing this up is if that dog, if Slick was been as a puppy given to, you know, a 70-year-old grandma and who would just be a house dog, okay, that genetic, that same genetic desire, because that's exactly what it is, is genetic to fight would still be there and would manifest. I'm not going to say immediately. I'm not going to say all the time. I'm going to tell you eventually it will manifest. Meaning either it's going to be a dog, an animal, or a person. That's just the way the cookie crumbles when you're dealing with genetics. Everything that we look for as dogmen are genetic. Is, is genetics. Because the training can come. We need the we need the clay to make the pot, correct? If you just got mud, you're not making a pot. You got to have clay to make the pot. We need the clay. The genetics is clay. 
right? So these dogs, I could we could breed slick right now to another game bred uh, to a, a female, have a litter of ten puppies, give all those ten puppies to people all across the nation of different walks of life, ages, demographic, locations, every everything different or everything the same. Those dogs are going to eventually do what their parents were bred to do and what their parents were bred to do. The problem today is people want to play the stupid card and say, it's not the dog, it's how they're raised. Bull fucking shit, it's how they're raised. Now, I'm not going to say how they're raised can't determine one thing or nothing, okay? So Slick was raised to not be dog aggressive. Jane said to fuck his ass up two ways to Sunday, but it worked. He is not dog aggressive unless another dog wants to start some shit, but he's not, he's, he's a hog dog. He's working with freaking, you know, curs and hound dogs and stuff to then as he's a catch dog. So he's around these dogs. He's zeroed on that hog. All the dogs around him are safe as they can be. He's not now major. My shepherd He'd say, fuck the hog. I won't want one of these motherfucking dogs right here because he's super dog aggressive. And do you think I taught him that? No. It's genetic. He's the biggest dog. He's one of the most dog aggressive dogs I've ever seen. He's not even a pit bull. So, I mean, he's a shepherd. But it's genetic. Okay? The way you raise them can either foster or, you know, if you know what you're doing, you can, you know, help move that aggression change change that behavior that doesn't mean it's genetically gone but it is still there okay so there's too many people who just like oh well i'm gonna raise them. i'm gonna socialize them i'm gonna i'm gonna you know raise them with love and rainbows and fucking unicorn farts guess what take that motherfucker to pet smart i challenge you He's two years old. Take him to PetSmart. Shit's going to happen. Shit's going down. Because that's what that dog was bred to do. Okay? Some people, I don't, I'm not saying I'm on this side of the fence. Some people think that it's cruel to not let game dogs fight. That'd be like not letting a championship freaking field trial bird dog, you won't let him go point. And go, you know, flush, you know, quail out of a covey or whatever. I don't bird hunt, so I don't know all the shit they do. But, you know, not letting a herder use his herding abilities, you know, that, that, that's their shit. Pit bulls a fight. That's what they do. Now, don't own one. You know, if you, the, 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 the problem too is you, a lot of people don't know what they're getting. So, like, if everybody got a Bosco like I have, oh, we would never have none of these things. My dog is the least dog aggressive and human aggressive. You could, if you got past major when I'm not home, then if it's left between you and Bosco, dog, you could steal anything in my house and he'll just go lay down and hang out. He's worthless other than love. That's my homie. But if everybody got a Bosco, we would never have these problems. The problem is people don't know what they're getting. Because they're ignorant, they don't know, and they end up getting one of somehow one of Slick's puppies, or somehow uh, you know a Jeep puppy, which a Jeep is a famous fight uh, fighting dog. So anyway, he's a 
a very famous game dog. Uh, they get shit like this. And then, like, oh my gosh, I've never seen him do that before. When he goes and rips the head off a poodle. You know, or kills five cats or something like that. Well, that's because you didn't know what the fuck he was. You didn't know what you're doing. You didn't know what you have. So, yeah, that dog did what that dog was bred to do. It's prey drive. And and they want to fight. That's what they do. They want to fight. They want to kill. They want to catch, kill, dominate. That's what they're meant to do. So we as a society in the last, I don't know, 100 years that said that dog fighting is cruel. I mean, it is cruel. I mean, but you look at these game dogs. If you ever seen a fight, dogs with two broke legs and shit, their ta- their tails are still wagging. And be like, they just want to please their owners. Bull fucking shit. Let that owner walk out the house or walk out of the building and let me see if that dog runs with him. No, that dog will stay right there and do work. It's because that's what that dog wants to do. Okay. So when when major bites, when I'm doing bite work with with major or any other working dog I've had, they're not fighting because they know that's what I want them to do. They're not, you know, biting the man and the man fighting them back and then staying in it. They're not doing it for me. They better not be doing it for me. They better be doing it because there's a man in front of him that's about to fuck his ass up if he don't fight, but also because he wants to. So, you know, that our dogs, you know, what we like to see is when a, a man is putting work on the dog, meaning I'm talking about flanking them, pulling up, you know, picking them up by the skin, uh, by their in front of their hips, or twisting ears, pulling hair, pulling the jaws like their their lips, uh, grabbing feet, you know, uh, pinching their toes, stuff like that. We want to see their tail start wagging more. Like, all right, I'm in this fight. I enjoy this fight. I like this. That's what we want a dog that likes to fight, because the dog that don't is a dog that's going to be the first one to spit, grip, and haul ass. They're gonna and they're gonna dip dip shit. They're gonna roll out. We don't want that. We want a dog that's going to stay in there and fight. So the moral of the story is, if you don't know what you're getting, don't know what you're doing, stay away from fucking pit bulls. You know, they're called pibbles, all these fucking dumbass liberal girls. You know, they're, they're pibble, P-I-B-B-L-E. Because what they call their pit bulls, put fucking pink bows on them and shit. Let them get the taste of a little blood. Let them figure out where that shit, where them genetics came from. And we're going to see if you're still calling it a pibble then when you're, when your fucking bestie brings their, you know, golden retriever over and he gets fucking his face, face ripped off. So, you know, I can't, it's just one of those things that piss me off is 99.9% of the time. It's not the dog's fault. It's what the dog was bred to do. It's the fault of the dumbass owner who put the dog or allowed the dog to be in the situation to do that. So that owner of those two pit bulls that fucked up my man's dog on sniper's hide, that guy needs to get beat with a fucking stick and then his dog's taken away from him because he, whatever he did allowed for those two dogs to go do what they were meant to do to someone else's dog and it possibly hurt a person. I'm going to tell you right now, if that had been my mom and dad and my mom got knocked, just knocked over, not even bit or messed up, just knocked the fuck over. I'm going over there and I'm fucking killing two dogs. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to kill this motherfucker's dogs. And that's all there is to it. And it ain't the dog's fault. But he don't deserve to have them. And he ain't going to get rid of them. I'm going to get rid of them for him. That that would just be me. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of stupid people in the world. And they're outbreeding us. The stupid people are the ones procreating more than we are. 
So they're outnumbering us soon. But anyway, that's just something that it, I want to touch on. It was interesting to me, the story, and sad. I know the dog's fine and it's in recouping and hurt, but at least it'll live and they didn't, you know, lose a family member or whatever if that's the way they look at dogs. But, you know, it's, um, that's where we live in, man. People are fucking stupid. Remember, like I told y'all about my political views is do whatever floats your boat as long as it don't sink mine. Having my dog fucked up or my parents' dog fucked up because of your dumb ass, that's sinking my boat. That's putting a hole in my fucking boat. I got a problem with it. If your your two dogs fucked each other up or fucked your other dog up or whatever, that's on you. That's sinking your boat. If it's floating it, great. If it's sinking it, that's your problem. But don't come sink mine. And this goes into that. I live my life by that. I'm going to do what I do. You do you. And I... I'm just not, I'm not going to mess up what you got going on. Don't mess up what I got going on. And we're all going to be happy. And, you know, this dude didn't get the fucking memo. So, I mean, I hope the dude gets his damn dogs taken away. That's what I hope, at least. And then sued and pays a fourth. Oh, the damn vet bill for this little fucking dog was $4,000. Dog, that's an AI, man. Like, that's an AI that y'all spent. That they spent on a dog getting fucked up and it wasn't even their fault. It wasn't even their dog's fault. It ain't like the dog did something stupid. No, they're just minding their own business in their boat and someone else came and sunk it. So that's where I got a problem. But, you know, let me tell you something. If somebody's dog fucks up Bosco, man, you just want to have to tough it. I ain't spending four grand on your ass, dude. I paid 80. I love you. But I just don't look at, you know, my dogs the same way other people do. You know, we got a damn 11-year-old dog that maybe have cancer. And they got a $5,000, $8,000 cancer. Fuck, you don't even know it's going to work. Man, get that dog a steak and let him, you know, go out on his feet and, uh, and bon voyage. You know, rest in peace. But I ain't spending no four grand on a fucking vet bill for one damn dog. But if this dude with the two bit bulls, he'd be paying me back. I'd be getting reimbursed for sure. Um, or I'm going to get $4,000 out of his ass, one or the other. So maybe him and the dude that stole my barrel can go hang out and go bowling. But anyway, coming up on uh, about an hour 20. It's not much on this episode, guys. Hope you all enjoyed it. Um, all my rants and raves and ramblings and stuff. Um, been getting really good feedback, guys. Um, Oh, something I do want to touch on. I want to thank the community, man. The whole barrel thing again. I made a post on Facebook basically saying, you know, it was a long shot. Gave the synopsis of what happened. Posted a picture of the barrel. So for reference, I told y'all it's a black and silver candy stripe barrel. You can't fucking miss it. Um, I had like a, I'm still getting shares on Facebook. I've got, okay, as of, it is 1030 right now. And I posted it yesterday evening, last, uh, last night. I have 164 shares. Now, that's only people who shared it to their timeline. I've ran across it in a couple different shooting groups that I don't even get notification of. It just I just ran across my timeline. And I just want to thank. I probably am never going to see this barrel again or money from it or anything. And it is what it is. But I want to thank the community. Because if you go back and listen to the episode where I talked about, you know, the new shooter, 
and the type of community they're step they're stepping into and that they are about to join this is the best i don't i don't even 90 percent of the people who shared my uh post about my barrel and shit trying to get it back i don't know them. i didn't even know i was even friends with them on facebook like i've never even i was like who is this guy and they're like oh shit we're friends on facebook like i don't even never even seen his name before and it's just people are just trying to help they're like man that fucking sucks got up 75 comments on it everybody's like man that really sucks and you know i I hate it for you and given their experience and stuff man this is an awesome community the two-way and especially the precision rifle community there's nothing better there's no other community to be a part of there's no real cutthroat shit there's no everybody's trying to help everybody rising tide raises all boats um and and everybody's just trying to help out and i want to appreciate every each one of y'all that shared my shit on instagram or facebook now if we can just get my damn podcast to get shared like that i'd probably get some some uh a good number of listeners frank has just rolled over on the snipe on the everyday sniper this man was about to hit a million downloads that's hard to fathom that's like legit that's legit you know, I got excited that I just rolled over a thousand downloads, which I think everybody who's done who's downloaded. I wish there was a parameter to see how many times it was streamed, but there is no way for me to tell. It could my podcast could be streamed fifty times, or it could be ten thousand times. I got no idea. I don't download podcasts; I just stream them because I've got unlimited data on my phone. I always got reception, and I just stream them. Only time I download is I'm going on a flight or something, but. Uh, I want to thank everybody that's commented. I've had a lot of cool comments. You know, just, you know, you're the best. Da, da, da. No, I'm not. I'm just a, a regular retard with a damn computer and a microphone. Um, but uh, all the support, the, the few questions that I've had. Look, if you can, if you ask a question that I don't feel comfortable answering and get to where I don't feel like I'm going to give you the best answer that you could get then I will, what I will promise you is that I will ask the person who I think will best answer that question. And then I will then come back and say, hey, I talked to so-and-so and this is what they had to say to answer your question because they can answer it better than I can. So that's what I'll do. So don't be scared to ask any questions. Um, if they're above my pay grade, I'm going to go to the person who is in that pay grade and I'll get the answer for you and comment back or cover it in a podcast um but guys keep the questions coming the comments uh and share it on facebook um it's david baker gli dot podbean the my link is uh dot podbean dot com forward slash that's the they'll take someone directly to my home page of my podbean channel um i appreciate you guys um doing that sharing it getting the word out for it and uh you know we'll keep it moving and uh i'm gonna uh hopefully by the time i uh record another episode i will have found my load for my dasher and i'll let you know how it shoots um and then um i'll cover that i'm thinking next week i'm gonna do the equipment episode i do have things i want just so i don't forget them when i'm you know rolling on this thing uh i'm, I'm gonna write down some some notes, some things that I want to make mention of as far as equipment and things I've played with and, and things that I've either had and sold or 
still have or have a lot of experience with or something that I'd like to or something that I know people that I trust their opinion on a given topic of whatever we're talking about as far as equipment goes and tell you what their thoughts are. And, um, you know, difference, the different, I'm a, I'm a three lug junkie. I love three lug actions, um, about all the different three lugs I've shot, the different attributes about them, and then different two lugs, the differences of two lugs and three lugs as far as how they operate and, um, you know, the feel and the way they, you know, the interface between you and the action, what, what to expect, bolt lift, heavy bolt lift, light bolt lift, uh, a lot of bolt lift, short bolt lift, um, and then feeding and all that stuff. I'll go, I'll try to go into detail of all that stuff. And, um, because, you know, training is most important, but gear is fun. You know, gear is cool. We're all gear junkies. I love, you know, getting a new widget or, you know, a new action. I love playing with different actions and stuff like that. And, you know, even chassis and stocks, I've had most of them. But uh, anyway, we'll go over that. And then hopefully, like I said, I'll be able to report back on my, my dasher if anybody gives a fuck about it. Um, and then uh, maybe touch on some other things. And then we will um, probably do a pre-war. I love that match. It's called war. Like, where are you going? I'm going to war this weekend. <laughs> Someone who doesn't know what you're talking about, like, what? Uh, I love that that match is called war. That's awesome. Um, but I do like a little, like I did for the last match, do a little, what I'm doing, what I'm taking since it's five and a half hours away, you know, and then while I'm there, my goal is to maybe, uh, me, Jeff and CL are riding together. If I can figure out a way to make sure I can get all three of us recorded, um, and, and the audio sound good, I'm gonna try to get like a group thing with the three of us on the way down. Excuse me. I'm gonna take a sip of water. Um, and then uh, maybe do another one while we're there, maybe the uh, the night before, Friday night before, or Saturday night after day one. Um, I know uh, my buddy, um, Daniel Posey, he's in third group. Um, he's an SF sniper instructor. He uh, He's shooting our squad, and I think he's going to try to get a hotel room to, uh, in the same hotel we are. And uh, maybe get him on, and uh, I'll take my laptop and everything, and maybe get him on a podcast if he's willing to do it. He's a guy I told you about that's been, you know, been murking motherfuckers with a 223, and <laughs> he's shooting a, a GT this coming up match. Uh, I think it'll be his first match shooting that GT. So I'm excited to watch him shoot. I mean, it's going to be fun. And uh, anyway, we're going to get, uh, we'll get some stuff together like that, and then of course do a hot wash afterwards so i got some stuff planned i still got to sit down and play with skype or any of the other apps to be able to do this via internet with uh, a guest and uh, play with that because i know you guys are getting sick and tired of hearing me and i know you're sick and tired of hearing me say that you're sick and tired of that um but we will uh we'll get somebody together um like i said mike must come on phil's gonna come on uh, eventually I'll get Frank on. Um, hopefully I'll get Daniel on at the, uh, at the match maybe. And, uh, and a few other people too. Theus from Hoplite Arms. He wants to come on. Sam Burns with Accuracy Obsession. He wants to come on and, uh, we'll get him on talking shit and, uh, we'll have a good time. But anyway, keep checking in, keep listening, keep commenting. Please start sharing. That'd be great. 
um, and we'll get the word out on this. And like I said before, the more I feel that people are listening to it, the more I'll keep doing it. Maybe do two episodes a week on the regular and uh, start searching for content rather than just happening across it to talk about. Um, But anyway, appreciate you guys. Y'all have a good evening and uh, have a good rest of your week.